Thank you for those kind words. Uh, so now I think you might do better than me. Could you lift this baby for me? Um, so we've been here for a couple of weeks. Thanks, Brie. And uh, it's been great. And, you know, why have we come? We've, we've, Andrea sent us here just to come alongside Brooklyn to strengthen what God's doing here and to enjoy you and to see what, you know, just to be part of what the Lord's doing. So very exciting for us. That's, that's great. Huh? That's quite high, actually. <laughs> Rather too high than too low. That's perfect right there. Ellie did find it funny. That's <laughs> so it's been quite an amazing morning just to uh, ponder on and to think of Christ's death and his resurrection. Uh, Howie, is that a song that you've just written or that you find it? Where is Howie? Uh, did you write that song like a few days ago? A couple of months ago. That's really wonderful. Huh? That song's going to go somewhere. I mean, I could listen to that in my car and just enjoy it for a long time still. So, um, but uh, obviously, let's, you know, there's something about God's intention. I don't know why He's chosen this way, but God's chosen the preaching of the Word to be some, a way that He somehow demonstrates Himself to us. And in our busy age, in our complicated world, man, we need the substance of God. We need something that's real. And, uh, and you, know, you can even speak about, you can be here this morning, we speak about the death and resurrection, and you go, wow, Christ is alive, but you can still leave unchanged. And so there's something about being impacted, there's something about being formed, there's something about the encounter with God that uh, comes through the preaching of the Word, just is how God's designed it. So let's look at the Bible together. I'm hoping that you are still part of those Christians who bring Bibles to church. Uh, but if you don't, you can open your phones. Check it out. And I'm going to go back to uh, Colossians. So I'm going to share a little bit what we shared on Wednesday. Now, if you were there on Wednesday, just uh, wave your hands. I can see who was there on Wednesday. It's not going to be the same, but there will be some of the same. I'm going to throw a bit of gravy and maybe throw in a dessert as well. So it won't just be the same as Wednesday, but a little bit different. Um, But let's enjoy this word together. So I'm looking at the book of Colossians, chapter 1. No, Holy Spirit, it's so easy for us to pray prayers to you and ask for help from the Father. But Lord, today we really, I'm going to lean into you. And for us, Lord, let there be life as we look to you in the name you've given us. You know, I'm going to risk it this morning. I'm going to go from verse 9. Now, often when you read the Scriptures too much, people sort of go into sleep, but I'm going to just risk reading a little bit longer than what people are used to. But I'm reading from verse 9, and obviously Colossians was a book that Paul wrote uh, to the church in Colossae, and uh, he had actually never been to this church, but he'd heard about them, and he prays this prayer. Now, if you're not sure what to pray in your life, it's really wise to find out what was being prayed for the church and start there. So instead of just praying your own prayers, start with this prayer. But listen to what Paul prays. He says, from the day I've heard about you, we have not stopped or ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So what Paul's praying is, he's praying for the church to be filled with God's wisdom, 
God's revelation, God's understanding, so that they might be pleasing to God. Just a little pointer out here. It takes God to please God. The Christian life was never meant to be you do what God requires you to do all by yourself. It takes God to please God, yet it's you. Okay, let's carry on. So, pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, now verse 11, being strengthened with all power, all power, all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Man, what a beautiful writing of the Scripture. Can I carry on a bit longer? Okay, verse 15. He's the image, now speaking about who Christ is, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, or of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. And that's incredible. So the man that we've been speaking about and singing about, who was born made everything that can be seen. That's quite big. On Wednesday, we were marveling at the fact that God, who is omnipotent, omnipresent, who you could not imagine how awesome, how big he is, became a man. And that's mind-blowing. Became a man, and God chose to be human for all eternity. Hey, it's big. Let's carry on reading. <clears throat> and he's the head of the body of the church. Someone say amen and hallelujah as well. He's the head of the church. You know, as, as, as much as we need the Adams of the world to lead us. Really, as much as we need men that will stand for Christ. Isn't it good news that he's the head of the church? Hey, the living one. He is the beginning, he's the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, you and me, it says once we were alienated, separate from God, hostile to God, an enemy of God, if you read the book of Romans, sinners, doing evil deeds, having no awareness of God, living our lives without Him, not acknowledging Him, not worshiping Him. But in His mercy, it says, He reconciled us through Christ's physical body, through death, to present us in His sight, saving us from our own sin and from the fallenness in this world, what a message. Just quickly, when God made the world, it took the power of His Word. But when He created the gospel, it was Himself, it was His very blood, His very life. 
It's like the one who made everything is the one who created the gospel. I love Billy Graham's quote. He says, Billy Graham says that when you look at Christ on the cross, you see God's justice, God's judgment of sin, God's wrath, and simultaneously God's incredible kindness and God's love. All in one picture. It's like God was saying, sin is really terrible. And yet, I love you. And I'll make a way for you. It's quite an interesting concept. I'm going to try and maybe explain this a bit further. But um, God sets the price of sin. And he says it's death. God says the, the consequence of sin is death. But then he pays the price himself. I love that. You know, I used to take my girls to the shops when they were young. We loved, uh, I know it's almost sinful to speak about sugar these days, but we loved going for treats. We would, we would go to the shop for treats, and, and uh, I, it was part of my fathering them, and, and they would go with pockets full of coins. And they would have no idea how money works, but I was obviously teaching them. And so we would go to the shops, and they would take literally 10 or 15 minutes to choose their little treats. And it was always a long process of what they wanted and how they would choose them. And even they would get dressed up for the occasion. So we would go to the shops. They would choose their sweets, and we would put the sweets on the counter. But they wouldn't know what they were worth. So they would just take out all their money. I remember my older one took out all the money she had and put it on the, sh- the, shop, the shop counter. And uh, it took a long time for her to learn that the shopkeeper, the shop owner, set the price. And then she had to pay the right price. And, and, and once that right price was paid, the shopkeeper would release the sweets and he was happy. And you know, we see yeah, God set the price of sin. And then in his mercy, in his kindness, he pays the price of sin. Incredible how God himself does both and is fully satisfied. So the first time I heard this, it is many years back. I'm listening to a, a man called Trevor Goddard. He was a, a South African cricket captain, and he had come and, and he come into our town and was actually sharing the gospel. And I, I was amazed because I'd heard the gospel, but it was the first time it made sense to me. And I had this thought. I said, I said to myself, if this is true, if Christ has been raised from the dead, it changes everything. It just changes everything. Now, this wasn't my story right the way through. Uh, my mother said to me when I was 15, you need to do confirmation. So I went to confirmation, and the Anglican priest, he was actually a, a missionary from the UK, a real English man, uh, led the confirmation. And at the end of confirmation, he looked me in the eyes. This is after he invited me to his home. And he said to me in true British English, he said, Grant, have you come to that place? And he paused, looked at me in the eyes, where you receive Christ into your life. And I'm thinking, no one's ever asked me that question. And I was like doing the maths. I was going like, I've just finished six months of confirmation. You know, what is the, what is the right answer here? Um, you know, I'm, I was used to failing and I wanted to do something, you know, I wanted to pass some and I didn't want to like give the wrong answer. And uh, by that time of my life, I'd already become a seasoned liar. Seasoned means that you lie reasonably well. And, and for me, lying was, was, 
and I, and I, I don't want to make it funny, because it is funny, but it's not funny. But for me, lying was a way of getting what I wanted, uh, or a way of not getting what should come my way. And so I'd learned to become a seasoned liar. Um, most of us, I think just to give you some context, now most of us, if we are liars, and not all, well, it takes the Lord to teach you to speak the truth. But you actually need a, for us to speak the truth, we need a culture of, of where it's okay to speak the truth. And I never learned that. Uh, there needs to be a, an environment, call it that way, where to speak the truth has got a redemptive consequence, not just punishment. And for me, I, I never learned to speak the truth because to speak the truth often was so consequential that I didn't know, I had no way out. And so from a young age, I'd learned to lie because lying seemed safer. Now, it doesn't justify lying. It's still sinful. But, but it does give understanding to how things start. But by 15, I wasn't afraid anymore. And lying had become a real part of my life. Not only did lying serve me and was a way of life for me, but it, it also covered many other of my sins. Um, I, I had long fingers. And uh, my brother being a lot more, I think, a more um, moral person than I was, and he was probably, even though he was younger, more responsible, he did a lot of saving of money, and I did a lot of stealing of money was a great relationship in some ways. Uh, we, we had to resolve it later on. But I stole from my father. I stole from my brother. And what was interesting was if you had spoken to me, I still had a measure of pride. I was a thief, but I only stole from my family. I had a sense of that because I didn't steal from my friends, I didn't steal from strangers, I somehow was still a good person. It's amazing how we can justify a really horrible position. And uh, that is me. I, I actually thought in some ways I'm a good person. So I look at Father Spaker in the eyes, and I realize the right answer is, yes, Father Spaker, I have received Christ. And I made sure I gazed into his eyes long enough for him to know that I was going to hold my line, and it was a complete lie. I had no understanding of Christ. I wasn't interested in him. I didn't want to be part of the church. I had my life to live. Some friends of mine invited me to come listen to a talk about God. And I thought to myself, like, this is probably before Father Spaker asked me the question. Or was it after? But somewhere around the same time. And uh, I went to these friends and I... Uh, um, I listened to them, and yeah, they, they were the bunch. You know, you get those different groups at school, and they were the bunch that had the lunch boxes. I called them the lunchbox crew, and, and, and it's like I didn't understand, and I don't want to make fun of them, but I didn't understand why like their mothers made them lunches and mine didn't. It's like one of those things where you look at them and go, "These guys are soft, man. They're weak. Their mothers <laughs> make them lunch boxes." Uh, and I remember looking at them, you know when you're prideful, but you don't want to be obviously prideful? Like, I remember coming into their circle, and I, I walked with my hands on my hip, a little bit slower than I should have, and I looked at them. Just looked at them for a while. And let them know that I wasn't approving of who they were, and then I carried on. You know, it's like I had that vibe. And um, so they were speaking about God, and I'm actually very glad they invited me to come listen to their talk about God. And and I, I, I wasn't that interested, but I remember reading a poem 
And the poem was called Footsteps. And I haven't got my notes here. Uh, I'd read it to you. But it's, it said that it just had a, a story of uh, a man walking with God along the beach. And the poem said that you could see two footprints walking as God walked with this man. But then he noticed just one set of footprints. And he said, Lord, why are there only one set of footprints in the hardest times of my life? And the poem said, in those times, I wasn't with you, I carried you. And so I'm reading this as the first time I was struck with, is God relational? And I remember walking home, and I heard this. I just knew God was knocking on my heart. And he said, will you, will you allow me to be your Savior and come into your life? And I remember talking and and looking at him and going, Lord, you know what, right now I've just discovered so many things. I've got a new motorbike. Um, Surfing is so wonderful. Uh, uh, And Lord, I've, I've started to kiss the girls. I really enjoy that. It's like my life, there's so much for me to discover about life. I said, God, I... I, I, I love pleasure and I love this world more than I love you. Like literally, I just said, God, I'm, I'm not in. And I closed the door. And now I'm listening to Trevor Goddard. And I'm realizing, if Christ is raised from the dead, it changes everything. But I said, Lord, you know what? I, I've learned a lot of things already in my life. And one of the things that I've learned is that everything you see is not necessarily real. I said this to the Lord. I said, Lord, if you are real, because there's no ways that I'm going to become like some of the people I know, if you're real, if you're real, I'll serve you. But if you're the real God. I said, I've heard these Christians are meeting tomorrow. If you're real, I want you to wake me up tomorrow morning at 5.30. Not 6 o'clock, 5.30. And if you're real, God, I'll go to school tomorrow and I will give my life to you. Now, just to give you a little bit of context, my normal waking up time is 7.30. It'll take me 15 minutes to get to school. I could wake up, take the sleep out of my eyes, get some food down my gut, brush my teeth, I was right around the corner of the school. I was at school. I was like, my, it was quick, quick. I mean, I could do it really quickly. And I would sleep right until the end. So 7.30, maybe quarter past seven, my waking up time. School starts at quarter two. I would push that thing. I would be the last, one of the last to come. You know those guys are coming right at the end, the bell's going. I was one of those guys. And I honestly, in my mind, now I've, I've been doing deals. It's part of my nature. I'm, I'm a business guy, by the way. I mean, I do deals all the time. And I thought to myself, this is one deal I'm going to win with God. I said, there's no way. So I'm waking up at 5.30. And there's no long clock. I'm very happy with myself. I've made a great deal with God. And uh, I think I'm pretty. I went to go and sleep. I was so happy to go and sleep. Because I thought, I've got this one in the bag. I've got God. And uh, <laughs> I'm not lying to you now. I'm not, I'm not going to exaggerate. I'm going to tell you exactly how it happened. <laughs> I wake up the next morning. And I remember the deal I made with God. I had this little lamp next to my bed. I put the lamp on. I had a little clock that was right at my eyes. When you woke up, you just did left like this. 
So I put the, the light on, and I looked left. And as I looked left, there was a second hand and a minute hand. The second hand, as I looked, went exactly over 12, exactly 5.30. I said, I went, God. Like, I, got, I literally got a fright. And uh, for the first time in my life, my room was filled with the awareness of God's presence. And I thought, God's come through. He's answered me. So I got out of bed. I began to put my clothes on. Went to the school. And I'm thinking, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, uh, I had a good bunch of friends as well. Uh, and I, I'm the, like one of my friends confided in me and said to me, I don't know where you got this from. He said, out of all the guys, you're the last guy who will come to Christ. Like he said this to me about a year ago. It was in my mind. Now I'm thinking, I'm going to, to my bunch of people and I'm going to stand up and say, my life is yours, Lord. <laughs> so I go to school. I'll, I'll wrap this up. I go to school. I'm 17 years old. Um, I spent, I wasn't the brightest boy at school. I, this is my second year in Sunday night. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> I listened to the message being preached. And I said, okay, Lord, amen. I've got very little understanding of the Bible. I wasn't interested in, my grandmother was a praying Christian, which was trouble for me because she loved me and just prayed for me. And I know, obviously, that God was hearing her. So she asked me numbers of times, would you, would you think about Think about believing on Jesus. I say, Graham, whoa. I've come to eat. Don't talk about those things. I was very quite, I was quite, uh, what's the word, uh, honest about my, my position. And I'm listening to this message being preached, and I stand up to respond. As I stand up, I see a vision of Jesus. Now, I don't often like to share this, and I feel like the Lord has told me to share it as it is. Because often we compare our experiences. I don't want you to compare your experience to mine and say, hang on a bit, I need that to follow. But I, w- I was nowhere. And this is how God chose to reveal himself to me. So I stood up, and I have a vision of Jesus. And I have a vision, and I see him in a white robe, but it's dipped in blood. Now, I've never read it in the Bible. I don't know about anything in Revelations, it speaks about he's got a robe that's been dipped in blood. And uh, to just give this thing a little bit of the Bible, the story, uh, it says that for God was pleased to have all his fullness, just bear with me, dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things in heaven or on earth, by making peace through the blood of his cross. It's like, it's like God... The sacrifice of Christ was first for God. First for God. God was making peace with the world. The sacrifice of Christ was first for the glory of God. Number one. Number two, like I shared with you early on, God is fully satisfied, fully pleased that it's enough to remove our sin. And so here I'm seeing the the robe that's in blood. What is very interesting is simultaneously, so almost the same time, I became very uniquely aware that
that my life caused his death. I don't know how to describe that to you. But it's like the Holy Spirit showed me in a moment. Now, I was one of those guys, if you asked me, well, are you a sinner? Yeah, of course I'm a sinner. I'm like a sinner like everyone else. And, and if you ask me, well, are you a good guy? Of course I'm a good guy. You know, I might steal, but I'm someone who also considers my friends. And it's amazing how we have a different perspective of who we are compared to God. It's like we, you know, if, you, if we went to the streets now in Brooklyn, you know what the average person would tell you if you asked them, are you going to go to heaven? They'd say, well, hopefully God will see the good I've done. And, and he will judge fairly. That's how most people respond when you ask them, are you a good person? Are you going to go to heaven? It's like they see themselves not the way God sees them. I saw my life and my sin the way God saw it for a moment. It was horrendous. It was, it was horrible. I was cut to heart. And we read earlier on that, that, he, that he, he comes to remove our evil deeds. Our evil deeds that separate us from him. You know, out of interest, Jesus never came to save good people who've made some mistakes. Never. The Bible says he only came to save, he only came to save sinners, the ungodly and the enemies of Christ. There's no good people who've made some mistakes. Only people who've done evil deeds. Interesting, eh? And so, for me, it's like, I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even have known why the blood and why the great cross. I was one of those guys who said, God, you know what, if you had spoken to someone, I wouldn't have let your son die. Surely there's another way to deal with sin. Like, why do that, God? But I, for the first time, realized the reality of the horror of sin and how consequential it is. And so God had to show me how I was complicit. I was there. I was the one with you that caused his death. And I was cut to heart. I saw it. I had a revelation of my own fallenness, my own sin, my own evil deeds. And I went, it's a part of me went, God will never accept me. If, if this is how God sees my sins, like I started to do this. Oh God. And as I was retreating in my heart, I saw again. I saw, it seemed like the arms of God opened up. And forgiveness and light and love began to pour into me. Man, and I wasn't a weeper. I was one of those guys who struggled to cry. Actually, I'm a weeper now, but I didn't cry much. I couldn't cry. It's like my heart was stuck. Man, I wept. It's like my bladder got connected to my eyes. And I, I wept. I mean, I wept and I wept as this love, liquid love began to pour over me. And it does say that that he, in love, it says. It says like he saw us and he loved us. You know, often you think you're just, you're just you. But he sees you. He sees your life. And you're just not a random person of eight billion people. The scripture says that he engraves his, he, our names in his hand. It's like he knows us. And I... I remember this love and this forgiveness pouring over me. And I knew, I knew forgiveness was flowing over my life. I knew 
that He is real. I knew that He's alive. I, I knew that this wasn't just the, in my imagination. I was caught up with the reality of Christ's death and His resurrection. Just such a powerful moment. And this morning I'm wondering, um, I'm wondering uh, just how does he, in the same way that he met me at 5.30 in the morning, as the same way he met me uh, and wants to in- and encountered me, how does God really want to encounter us even today? And my feel is that it's not just for those who are possibly not, who haven't had that transaction with God. But what does it look for us like? What does it look like for us, even in the church for a long time? How do we walk in the reality of this death and this resurrection? How does it impact us daily? How do we know these things and walk in the goodness of it? And in some ways, I'm so glad that I had an unusual birth. Because I was unusually rebellious. But it was a massive change for me. It's like the next day coming into my, my vibe and my environment. It's like I used to love reggae. Uh, I, I was, you know, uh, and I'm not proud of these things, but I, I, I was definitely uh, quite steep on the, the road down. Like I was doing pot and 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 looking at different uh, drugs. I was never really drawn to drugs, but my group were quite into different experiences and uh, poppers and different pills. And, and so, so for me to stand up the next day and go, I'm a Christ follower. <laughs> and it was like, are you serious? I'm serious. I can't, I can't deny his resurrection. I can't deny who he is. It's like I went from that group of people the Friday night, we were playing table tennis. It's like you, you, I went from this crew to that crew in one, one week. You know, like, it's like I said, what do you guys do now? now we, on Friday nights, we, we play table tennis. I'm going, table tennis? <laughs> you being serious? It's like there is like a downward road for me. I'm talking about humility. I mean, like, like you went from that crew to this crew in seven days. Like you're going to follow Christ, like table tennis, you know, worship on a Friday night. <laughs> it's like, but it was life. It was real. I should, probably should have had notes. So this thing's really gone all over the show. But... <laughs> But I do want to ask, like, and we're not going to do the whole thing where we pray, but who, who, because it's possible to listen to the gospel. It's possible to listen to the gospel and never have a transaction with God. It's possible to even ask for forgiveness of sins and you don't receive forgiveness. Well, you say, how is it possible? Well, there's, there's a, it, it's faith. It's looking to God. It, there is an impartation of God's forgiveness. You know, actually, when you're reborn. You know. You know, some of us have, have, have accepted Christ, but you've had no conversion of your heart when it comes to sin. I can't tell you, I didn't become good. I didn't do a whole lot of good deeds. 
But there was a moment where I looked up and I could see how God sees sin and my heart was changed. So I didn't, out of, I didn't become a good person. I saw what God sees and I had a change of mind. I agreed with God. Sin is horrible. So what I was doing now became different. I couldn't keep on doing what I was doing. If you haven't had that, you haven't been saved. There's not a change. The gospel changes you. Not you changing you. The gospel itself, Christ himself, changes us. I walked out of that encounter with the Lord. Different. Did I still sin? Yes. But my heart had been changed. I had a different perspective. Some of us actually need to respond to the real Christ, have a real conversion, a real conversion. And the spirit of Christ, the life of Christ comes into us, transforming us. I don't want to bring condemnation on the church. But that thing is so real. And it's real because it's not a thing. It's a person. You'll know. And the purpose of forgiveness of sins is that you might be one with God. Be reconciled to Him. Lord, I want to ask you for help this morning. Let's stand together.